Thanks for joining us. Uh, whether you're here uh, in the room or you're watching online or you're catching up later, it's just great to have you as part of our worship this week, no matter when you're choosing to engage with us. Um, I did want to mention one more thing before we dive into our conversation today, um, and that's small groups. Last week, we had a great time of small group leaders getting together. We had some awesome food at my house and just got to kind of talk for a little bit about what this fall was going to look at. If you've never been part of a small group here at GFC, the way we run them is we go basically for the school year. So we go eight to nine months. uh, And so when school starts coming up like this week and all the parents are ready for the kids to go back in school, right? We want you to start thinking about what it would be like to be a part of a small group. And that's not just something that we just say flippantly, we just want you to be a part of a group, but we, we know that when we get together and we're in groups and we sit in circles and we have conversations and we pray together and all that kind of stuff, just relationships grow. And so we can come together and Sundays are great, but Sundays are kind of all over the place. There's a lot of us. There's no way you can have a meaningful conversation with everybody here on a Sunday morning. And so when we say we're going to get together every other week in a small group, you get to have that meaningful connection. One of the things that I was, I don't remember where I was. I was at a seminar or something recently. Oh, it was Global Leadership Summit. And they said 58% of people would say that they're lonely. 58%. And so we just think about six out of 10 people you would meet, or maybe you would feel that uh, over the course of your week, you would just say, I feel lonely at some point. And the crazy thing is what's happened over the last few years, right, as online interactions have gone up, That's great because we connect with different people, but then we're not filling the time that disappeared with interpersonal relationships, so we're actually just spending more time alone. And that can be okay. Like, I think all of us at times just go, I need to be alone for a while, right? Just give me my space. But at the same time, we would also say we need to have that connection. It's healthy. It's the way God created us to. So we are going to have those signups come out. If you get our weekly email, um, we're going to have those signups come out in a little bit this week. By this Thursday, you'll have them. Again, reminder, no regular service like this next week, so we won't have that announcement going out. We have our small group leaders getting their times together, getting their dates together, so you can register for a group and jump in and we would encourage you to do that this fall, okay? If you have any questions about that, please reach out to me, and I would love to get you some more information. All right, let's dive into our conversation today. So we've been in this sermon series called Storyteller. And just to give you a little bit of background, right, if you haven't been a part of our conversation for a while, we've been tracking through the book of Luke over the course of the year. We started strong there. We're going to end strong there. We've taken a couple of rabbit trails over the course of the year. But we're diving back into Luke, and we're specifically over the next few weeks, and we have already taken a couple, right? We're looking at the parables in the book of Luke. Now, when I say the word parable, that's a very churchy word. We don't use that word normally in everyday conversation. So if you're listening to this and you're not sure what that is, we would, you might ask the question, what are parables? And this is the way that we would explain what a parable is. It's an earthly story with heavenly meaning. And so when you've got an earthly story with, a he- with heavenly meaning, what Jesus is doing is he's taking what we understand here on earth, tangibly, we get things, we understand, we see the world around us, and saying, how do then we use those examples to learn something about the kingdom of God? And so Jesus was a master storyteller. In fact, it's estimated that he used in his teaching 30 to 50 different parables over the course of his ministry. And the cool thing is when we look at the book of Luke, and this is where I really want us to kind of grab onto this for a minute, is that these are the stories that he wanted us to remember. These are the ones that you, you ever hear a story and you're like sitting down later at dinner and you have a conversation about what you, who or what you were just interacting with and you're like, remember that story they told? That was crazy. 
Like, let's talk about that. What did you think of that? Have you had an experience like that? You just, those were the ones that kind of stuck in their mind and they said over and over and over again, I, we're going to have conversation about this. And so multiple gospel authors had certain parables that stuck for them. But these are the ones that Luke said as he's writing and wanting to have this account for, for people to remember for years and years and years. He goes, these are the stories we need to know. And so when we lean into that, one of the really cool things we think about is Luke didn't just worry about the times and places and locations and all that. He gave us the writings and the things that were important for us to remember. He said, you guys need to remember what Jesus taught. And so these stories are the ones that he would say are very, very important. And before we get there, I want to start with a question, okay? Before we get to our parable today, I just want to start with with this question. How do you expect God to show up in your life? How do you expect him to show up? As you think about that, we, we would probably have different ideas around the room of how we would think God would show up, right? And I think as we would go back in maybe history and our past, if you're a follower of Jesus, at some point you made the decision or had a discussion with somebody and you said, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to lean into this and I want that to be something that defines me. And my guess is when that happened, we all kind of had an idea of this is how I expect God to show up in my life. Like if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have more joy and God's going to give that to me. Or if I follow Jesus, maybe I'm going to be more successful in life or I'm just going to have more good things happen to me than bad things happen to me. And over the course of time, maybe you've seen that shake out or maybe not. But maybe today, like if I asked you that question, how do you expect God to show up in your life? Your answer might be different. And maybe for some of us, we've had those moments where we would say, you would maybe even feel like you've audibly heard from God. You, you felt something and you heard something in your, in your mind or in your heart and you would say, that was clearly God to me. Or you would have something happen and you would be in a difficult spot and somebody shows up and provides for you and you would say, well, that was God showing up, right? There's no way they could have known or there's no way they could have understood. And so them showing up is just all of a sudden God, God is there. Or maybe you've felt like you were supposed to have God show up and he didn't. And so you were in a space where you prayed and you asked God and you said, this is what I want. I'm trying to pursue him. And, and yet the answer to that was he didn't show up the way you thought he would show up. And this is interesting. And I think this is, this is true. Like we get this, but it's also true with God. Unmet expectations lead to broken relationships. When we have an expectation of God and how he's supposed to show up in our life and how he's supposed to do certain things or how things are supposed to turn out, and they don't, we have a broken relationship, right? So if you're married, we have conversations about this. What are your expectations? What are my expectations? How does it work? I get the opportunity as a pastor to sit with people before they get married and sometimes after they get married. And one of the conversations I have with people before they get married is have the conversation about expectations of all different kinds of life. Because when you're dating, especially if you're not living together, you're like, life is great. And you show up at each other's house, you go on dates and you whatever. And then all of a sudden, one day you've got a new roommate and you've got to figure out how to drive with that. And all of us that have gone to college and got put in a room with somebody that we didn't know before, that just is weird no matter who the person is. You've got to figure out bathroom schedule. You've got to figure out how gross they are or not. You've got to figure out what they listen to at night and what kind of white noise they like and what kind of white noise you don't like. You've got to figure out all this different stuff. And even as you walk into marriage, you love that person and they're beautiful. They, you love and be with them all the time, whatever. You've still got to figure stuff out. And if you don't have that conversation ahead of time, if you don't have the conversation about expectations, I will see you again after you get married because we're going to have to have conversation. And even after you do, right, as you go through marriage, you're going to figure out 
There are different expectations. There's new situations in life. And when the new work schedule comes up, you've got to have different conversations about those expectations. And if we don't have conversations about those expectations and we don't land in the same place, the relationship's going to be strained. It's the same way with parents and kids. It's the same way with best friends. It's the same way with boss and coworker or, yeah, employee or coworker, whatever. All of these, we know, healthy relationships are built on expectations that are understood and spoken. And so here's what Jesus is going to do today, okay? He's going to have a conversation with us about our expectations about God. These parables that we're going to look at today, it's really one parable, but he gives a little different jive in a couple sections. It's about what the expectations are between us and God. And what happens when we have these expectations or don't, expectation, or don't have the expectations and how God's going to show up and how we respond in those moments. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to go to Luke chapter 11. In Luke chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 5. And Pastor Andrew mentioned this uh, Next Steps card earlier. There's another use for this. There's a little QR code on the back that you can scan or it's up there on the screen. And if you would like to do that, you can go to our follow-along page. Uh, we would love to have you do that. We'll have the verses on the screen for you. But if you'd like, you can go to the follow-along page and you can follow on there. You can always also email those notes to yourself, uh, which is cool. So if you've never gone to the follow-along, go check it out. It's a good spot to follow along with today. And if you're watching live at home, you can do that as well. But in Luke 11, we're going to start with verses 5 and 6. He starts in verse 5. I just want to read this first sentence, and then we'll pause. He says, Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. That gives us the context, okay? We're not going to go back and read the first four verses. But this is all in the context of prayer, okay? So as Jesus is talking to people about how we're praying, what that means, how that works, he dives into this story because when we come to pray, we're coming to God and we're saying, I have expectations or I want to talk about my expectations. We've got to figure this out. So he says, in the context of prayer, he gives this story. He says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. And you say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. Okay, the story gets interesting right away. Imagine it's midnight, you're asleep and someone's knocking at your door. Some of you wives are looking at the husband and saying, go see who's at the door. I'm not moving. Or you've got a ring doorbell and they ring the doorbell and your phone goes off and you look at it and there's somebody waving at you. At midnight, what's your first question? What do you want? Why are you knocking at my, even if it's someone you know, why are you knocking at my door? Even if you say it more nicely in your brain, you thought, what do you want? They say, I need three loaves of bread. What's your answer? I know what my answer is. Uh, wake me up tomorrow. Or go to Wawa. They're probably open. Go get it there, right? No, I need bread. Okay, so now, first of all, you're right. This is how we respond. Now, here's what we don't understand about this. Let me give us a little bit of background where we culturally look at this and go, what do you want? They, they wouldn't do that. But here's, here's what's going on. When someone arrived at your home in this culture, no matter what time of day, no matter when it was, you were supposed to have food ready for them. Now, here's the other thing. People were just kind of allowed to show up at your house unexpectedly and expect you to have a place for them to stay. And if you turned them away, you were a jerk. Now, if you showed up at my house at midnight and said, I need a place to stay, I would probably say yes, but I wouldn't really like it. Just being honest, right? You wouldn't like it either. But in this context, you had to. You were supposed to. And they didn't have phones, right? There was no heads up. There was, hey, I'm traveling I arrive at midnight, I'm at your house, I need a place to stay, and you're supposed to have a meal for me, and if not, this is going to reflect poorly on you. 
And so we don't really get that because we don't live in that context. But this is what's happening. And so the neighbor coming and knocking on the door is saying, I had someone show up. I didn't expect this to be the case. I have no food. I'm a poor host. I'm not able to take care of my guest. Can you please help me? Let's keep going in verse 7. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. Okay, now we're like, yep, that's what I would say. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. So now it gets worse. Probably a one, one bedroom house. That means the kids are in bed. The toddler just went to sleep. And now the person in the house is like, listen, if I get up, the baby wakes up. None of us want that. So why don't you just go? <laughs> like, I can't, I can't help you right now. This is not a good time. I don't like this. And so then verse 8, but Jesus comes back and he says this. He says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, let's pause for a minute. Because when you think about this, we're the person outside knocking. No one really wants to be in that situation. No one wants to be in either situation in this story. You don't really want to have to be the person knocking on the door at midnight because that means circumstances aren't great. And you don't want to be the person inside having someone knock on your door at midnight. Not a good story. This is all kind of just uncomfortable. But when we really break it down and, and Jesus is saying, you're the person or I'm the person or you're the person knocking on the door and God's the one in the house. And we look at the way the person in the house responds. It kind of goes, I don't really love that. I don't necessarily love the way that, like, God's a little frustrated that I'm knocking. But I would also say that if you've ever worked with kids or teenagers or even just people that aren't necessarily that responsible, are there times where people show up and say, I need something, and they wait till the last minute, and they weren't prepared, and they could have been and in the back of your mind, you're going, this could have been taken care of very differently, and this isn't the best situation. Listen, the, the person that's coming to knock, they weren't prepared. Now, they didn't know the person was coming, but they didn't have spare bread. They weren't ready, right? And so they're knocking on the door, and there, there's a little bit of that, yeah, there's a times where God, I think, feels like, why weren't you ready for this? Why, why didn't you process this? Why didn't you think ahead? But it's interesting, he says, Though we won't do it for friendship's sake, he goes, he won't, he's not going to just do it because you're a friend. But here's what we want to know. Because if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, here's the other thing that we want to know about the neighbor. Is that when someone showed up to stay at your house, the hospitality piece was on you, but it was also on your community. So if this person that's in the house says, no, I'm not getting up, the baby's asleep, it's midnight, go away, I can't, I will not help you, it also reflects poorly on them. Because they're looking at the situation and saying, I have the ability to give you what you need, and I'm refusing to do so. And what Jesus is wanting us to understand is, God's not going to leave us out in the cold when we need something. Yeah, there's moments where he probably is thinking like, like a dad would or like a teacher would or like a coach would. You should have thought about this ahead of time. Why don't you know where your things are? Why aren't you ready for this? Why weren't you prepared? Why didn't you process this ahead of time? But he still is the one that can show up and give the help. He's the one who can supply the need. So Jesus says he, he's going to do it. He's going to be the person who supplies it, even in a difficult situation, even in a moment where he could look at you and say, 
You should have been ready. He's going to be the one that when he needs to be the one to supply the need, he's going to do it. So here's what I want us to get first, okay? When your need or my need is greatest, God shows up the strongest. There's going to be moments where we are feeling like the person who's outside knocking. Like, I need God to show up. I need God to show up. I need God to show up. And we're going to knock and we're going to knock and we're going to knock. Jesus says, he will meet your need. But it may not be exactly the way we think. But there's going to be those moments where we really have a need and Jesus says God's going to be the only one who can fulfill it. He knows that and he's going to show up. Even in most, the most difficult or unfortunate circumstances. And then Jesus goes on in verses 9 and 10 and he says this. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks the door will be open. Now, let's pause. How many of you have heard this verse before? Bunch of us, right? It's a feel-good verse, isn't it? Keep asking God, he'll give it to you. If you take it out of context, that's what it says. You've probably even seen it like on, you know, things on a wall or like on a plate or something like that. It would would work real well on like a Thanksgiving plate, like around the edge. That's where we see it. But but here's what we've got to get. This isn't just about God showing up and just giving us what we want. And even in the last verse, the the verses previous, he says, uh, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So this is where we have to kind of lean in and go, what is Jesus saying here? We're going to go to another place in a little bit, but I want to first focus on what our role is and how this works. So here's the first thing that's important, okay? It says this, persistent prayer matters. He says, keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on asking, keep on. Now this is one of those things that it's kind of hard to make it make sense in our brain sometimes. Like we're like, okay, God's all powerful and all knowing. So if he's all-powerful and all-knowing, does he not know what I need? Of course he knows what we need. So then why do I have to ask him? Why doesn't he just give it to me? And then you're going to say, I have to keep asking. Why do I have to keep asking God if he knows what I need and he can give it to me anyway? Let me give you an example. Sometimes we ask for things we don't actually really want or need. Here's what I mean by this. A couple months ago, or I guess it was just about a month ago, we took our kids to um, Great Wolf Lodge for the first time. So Great Wolf Lodge, if you don't know what that is, it's an indoor water park and a hotel all in one. So it's cool because anytime, anything you book at the hotel, you get to go to the water park. So it's great. And there was a new one that wasn't even open yet. They just built it just north of Baltimore. So they had deals on it. So we're like, great, because we weren't taking the kids really on a long vacation this summer. So we thought this will be awesome. So we're like, we'll plan one night. We'll go book the, we'll book the hotel, which gets you two days at the water park. It'll be awesome. And it was. It was great. The water park's great. If you ever have a chance to go, it's great. The rooms were cool, all that stuff. Here's what they don't tell you. Hotel over here. Water park over here. Everything in the middle you have to pay for to get there. You know, like the water park itself, the water slides, all those things. Like you get into that section, you're like, do anything you want. It's all good. Here's what's in the middle. Mini golf, ropes course. Uh, what else was there? Yeah, the, I'm getting that. There was one other thing I can't remember. Anyway, it was all the stuff that you have to pay extra for was in the middle. And the thing that got all the kids the most was this game you could play where you needed the wand and it was like a virtual thing that you could like go around the resort and like find different places and you needed the wand in order to interact with 
all the other things that were happening. So as you're walking through, our kids are also all seeing all these kids with these wands going around and doing this different game. And you had to pay for the wand and the game separately. Yeah, right. This is how I feel. I'm like, great, guys. Thanks for the water park, but you're killing me. So then our kids are all like, they see all the wands and all the stuff, right? And they're like, we need to play the game. And we're like, we're not playing the game. And so they're like, no, we need to. And we're both like, we're here for less than 24 hours. We're here to do the water park. This is what we're doing. And they they were like, we need the wand. The wand is so cool. And what did we tell them? You're not going to use the wand eight hours from now. Like, it's going to be done and over, and we don't need it. We did not pay for the wand, right? We held our ground, okay? Our kids could not take us down. But it was rough for a few minutes because they see all the other kids, right? We do the same thing. We will say to God, I need this. I want this. But here's what he knows. We can show up and ask for stuff that he knows a week from now, two weeks from now, two years from now, we don't really need. But here's what he does know when we're persistent. We do need it. And we're committed to it. And we want to engage with it. We've been home from Great Wolf Lodge for a month. I have not heard another word about that wand. Thank the Lord. But if my kid came to me one day and was like, hey, my shoes are too tight. Like, okay, for the first day, like, wear different socks. But like the next day, my shoes are too tight. The next week, my shoes are too tight. Now what do I know? You need shoes. This isn't just like one day you wore, because like sometimes our kids put on two pairs of uh, socks. I don't really understand that. But like they do. And so I'm like, well, that's why your shoes are too tight. But in like real situations, I'm like, okay, there's an actual need, right? There's something that actually needs to change here. And when we have that conversation over and over again, it, it, it's a reality. And it, it sinks in not just for us as the parent to provide for them, but it also sinks in for them, like the reality of, of what they need and, and what it means to actually need something versus I just want something. And so when we come to God and we go, hey, I, I feel like I need this. And we wait a bit and we pray about it some more and God isn't. And, but we show up again and we say, hey, God, I need this. Or I need this situation to change or whatever. But when we come over and over again, it it sinks in in this idea of I get what it means and and I can communicate that to God and that relationship is different. Here's the second thing I want to see. Persistent pursuit of God matters. So understanding who God is means something. It builds it builds into us to understand. It, it's the same way when, I, like I said, go back to the example of sitting with married couples and, and talking about these expectations. When we pursue understanding each other's expectations, then we can better fulfill them or then we can better understand who they are. And so when we persistently pursue the person that we want to get to know and understand, then it becomes easier to get to know and understand them because we learn more and we connect more. And here's what happens. Persistent prayer And a persistent pursuit of God creates a consistent understanding of God and his character. And that means when I I show up and I have a conversation with God, I say, I need this, or I want this, or I'm trying to figure this out. And he says, I'm not going to answer it exactly that way. Then we start to say, okay, so how do I need to change the way I'm seeing this? We would all love in a, in a need, in a financial need, that we would love to just pray once, and the next day in the mailbox, the money shows up. It's not the way God works. Sometimes he does. Usually not. So then how does my understanding need to change? How does my pursuit of God need to change 
in how I'm understanding it. How is he going to provide for that in a way? And if I persistently have a conversation with God and I keep asking him and I persistently pursue God, I will have this consistent understanding of God and his character and my view of this will change. Jesus goes on and he kind of changes the narrative a little bit. He goes to verses 11 and 12 and it says, You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. This is one of those like, duh. Why would you give a scorpion? But this story, as I read it, it reminded me of the times where we've gone to the pet store to get our kids fish. I usually try and get Becca to go to the snake section. She won't go with me, though. She won't let us get one. We started to have this conversation. There was one time we went to the, we went to, uh, the pet store. We went to the pet aisle, or the fish aisle, sorry. And we just, the kids wanted to keep the fish in their room. So we got these little aquariums, okay, that were literally next to the fish. So the kids are holding their little aquarium. When we go to the 98-cent goldfish, we're going to the cheapest one we can find. And we say we just want one goldfish to put in the little tank so that the kids can have fun taking care of their fish. And the lady at the fish tank place goes, you're not going to put it in that, are you? And I said, you're selling them next to the goldfish. I thought they went together. That's what marketing says. She said, you can't put a gold. I said, it's a 98-cent goldfish. Anyway, I didn't get into it with this lady. But I was like, why won't you just give me what I'm here for, right? Why won't you just allow me to have it? And sometimes I think we think about that with God too. We ask him for something, and he doesn't give it to us. And we think, why won't God just give me the thing that I want? Or why won't God just give me the thing that I clearly know I need? And so Jesus breaks this down, and he says, listen, God's not up there just trying to say, I'm going to figure out a way to give you what you don't need. He's not looking at our situation and saying, you know what? That sounds great. You want a fish? I'm going to hand you a snake. Or you want an egg? I'm going to give you a scorpion. Like, I'm not going to give you the thing that's opposite of what you need. And yet, sometimes we think about that with God, and we think he just wants to find a way to give us the opposite. And so in verse 13, Jesus says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. He says, ultimately, the gift you need is the Holy Spirit. Like, that's the ultimate thing God could give you, and he's given it to you if you ask. He's not trying to sit up there and give you the opposite of what you need or to give you something different than what you're asking for. He's, he's simply doing this, right? We have to understand, God doesn't always give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And there are plenty of times in life, and you know this, again, if you've worked with other people, like people will come to you, I need this. And you go, nope, I know your situation. I know what's going on. If I give that to you, it's going to lead you down a bad place. You need this instead. And because I love you, I'm going to give you that instead of what you're asking for because I actually know this is better for you. And this is what I know to be true, right? I think you know it too. Knowing what we want and knowing what we need are two very different skills. Knowing what we want and knowing what we need are two very different skills. And then learning to act on that is also something that's very different. So we can look at life and go, I know what I want to eat and I know what I should eat. And then acting on knowing what I should need to eat and not what I want to eat, that's another discipline. 
Here's what happens. As we get to know God better and we lean into that pursuit of God, we get to that point where we can actually say, I know what I need instead of just what I want. Here's the problem. Too many times, we don't get past that as followers of Jesus. We stick in this place sometimes of, I know what I want God to give me. I know what I want him to do for me. And we stay there. And when God doesn't show up and answer that exactly the way we want, here's what happens. We go, I'm done with God because he's not giving me what I want. Or, yeah, he's not giving me what I want or what I think I need. This is a struggle. But when we do persistently pursue God, we get that consistent understanding of God's not up there messing with me. He's not just trying to move me in a place I don't want to be. When bad things happen, it's not just because he doesn't like me. It's because he knows what we need rather than what we want. I want to go to Paul for a minute. Paul gives us a little bit of this story. And I think when he says this, it matches up really well with this parable. We're going to go to 2 Corinthians 12. Let me give you a a little bit of background just quick. Paul talks about, in 2 Corinthians, this, this thorn in the flesh that he gets. We don't know if it's an actual thorn. We actually don't think it is. We think that's an analogy for this ailment or this struggle or this frustration that's happening. But it, it seems to be physical. Like it seems to be painful, whatever it is. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and 9. It says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Now let's pause. What did Jesus say in the parable? Keep asking and God will what? Give us what we need. So Paul says, I know that information. I begged him three times to take away what he's given me. But then he goes on and says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. He says, even in this weakness, when I ask God to take it away over and over and over again, God says, nope, you're going to keep it. We don't like that. Why? Is that God not me asking for an egg and him giving me a scorpion? Like, just, just take it away. But Paul says, no, 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 no. There's a reason why. And then he goes on and says this, ready? In verse 10, he says, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, we know, followers of Jesus, this verse exists. We just don't like it. Because that means when these things show up, we have to take, I mean, he literally says, I take pleasure in it. Now, at some sense, we can be like, oh, when I'm weak, then God shows up. Okay, great. Like, he can be responsible because I'm not going to. But then he also goes into, and when people insult me because of Christ, I take pleasure in that. When there's hardships and persecution. So anytime something hard comes, this is what Paul's saying. When something difficult shows up in life and I don't run from it, I know it's because God's going to do something with it. I know that's why. And it's not because God's giving me the opposite of what I'm asking for. It's because God knows as the person who's inside the room and I'm knocking on the outside, he knows what I need. He's not just giving me what I want. Here's the way we understand this. Our hearts change when we see every gift from God as a blessing and an opportunity. Now, can I be honest with you? When I was working on this last week, 
and I wrote this phrase down, I actually wrote, our hearts change when we see every gift from God as a blessing or an opportunity. And I realized I had it wrong. Because every gift from God, even if it's a difficulty, again, this isn't just me. This is Paul. Like, we just read it. The difficulty. He says, I I take pleasure in it. Because it's a blessing, and it's an opportunity. It's a blessing because it's what I need. God's giving me what I need. That's a blessing. Like, when someone just gives us what we need, even when it's not rainbows and butterflies, when someone sits you down and says, hey, you would be much better at your job if instead of doing it this way, you did it that way. And you actually lean into that and learn how to do it, and you're better at it. In that moment, right, it's difficult. We don't want to hear the criticalness of that thing. But then when we move from that, we go, no, that's actually really good because they did help me. When someone gives us what we need, it's a blessing. And what? And it's an opportunity for something to happen. Now, you get into real tangible places with this. It gets real difficult real quick. So cancer diagnosis comes. Pastor Corey, you're telling me this is a blessing and an opportunity? That's what Paul says. I don't know why. But what's the blessing or opportunity? Or blessing and opportunity? The blessing might be more time at home with your family. The opportunity might be having the conversation in the chemo chair with the person next to you in the chemo chair about who Jesus is because they don't know. Pastor Corey, you're telling me when I lose my job, that's a blessing and opportunity. Yes. Why? I don't know. What's the blessing? Maybe you get to coach your kid's team more and spend more time with them and build that relationship. And then through that, you get to know their friends and you get to connect with them and they get to talk, you get to, talk to a parent who starts to come to your church and they come to know Jesus. I don't know. When we get what we need from God and then we see it as an opportunity, we get to lean in and see what God does. And I don't know anybody. I'm telling you, I, I'm honest. I tried to rack my brain with this. I don't know anyone who's a follower of Jesus that has received a difficulty or a hardship and has leaned into it and said, what is God going to teach me through this? And hasn't come out on the other side saying, I see why God did that. And here's the reality. Even if the worst possible thing happens, right? You're given cancer, and you end up passing away. How is that a blessing and an opportunity? Well, you get to meet Jesus, and you get to know him better than you've ever known him. That's the power of the gospel. Like, that's where it just changes. Everything that we understand as, as negative and hardship, God can turn into a positive opportunity. And I'm telling you, even in that situation, you think about it and you go, man, my family, if I'm gone, whatever. I'm telling you, I've led people to Jesus because my mom passed away. So just listen, even through those hardships, we can understand who God is better. But we have to have the understanding that when things get difficult and we just go, we look at God and say, that's not what I thought you were going to do, and we walk away, we miss it miss it. It's hard in the moment. We have to lean in and understand. Okay. Here's three things that will rob you of being able to do this. Three things. First of all, just simple. Distrust. Sometimes we just don't trust God. Say, you gave me this. Didn't want it. It's not good. You're not good. Plenty of people outside of following Jesus will look at God and see all the bad stuff that happens and just look at God and go, You are not good because that happened. But I'm telling you, we have to trust that what God has given us is what we need. That's not easy. It's not something that feels good. But it's the truth. And when we lean in and we learn from it and we process it, we can see how God is going to use it 
in our lives. So the first thing is distrust. That will get in the way. Here's the second thing. Comparison. Comparing yourself to others will always steal your joy. This is where it gets real difficult because we can look at other people and go, man, I try and be such a better person than them, and yet they get all the stuff that I want. It's really difficult now that social media exists, right? Because you can just see it. And you go, I know what that person is doing behind their boss's back. I know what they're, and yet they're getting whatever. And we look at that and we go, that's what I should be getting. God should be giving me that instead of what he's given me. And the reality is that's not true. That when we look and we compare to what God is giving someone else based on what they, like we don't worry about them. Just worry about us. Don't compare what God is giving to somebody else and then measuring it on what God is doing for you. Here's the third thing. Greed. You can only be fulfilled when you can have enough. We always want more. We want more of really good things. We see a good thing and we want to chase it. We go, I need more of that. I need more of that. I need more of that. And we can be so happy in our circumstances until somebody else buys the bigger house. Somebody else buys the better car. Somebody else doesn't have the problem that we have. We start to go, I need more, 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 more. And we get greedy. And we look at God and we say, I need this, I need this, I need this. And God's going, no, you don't. You need what I gave you. And again, I, I, I've said this before, but like we can get real worried about, do I have enough, do I have enough, do I have enough? And the question is, do I have enough today? If I have enough today, do I trust God for what he's going to give me in the future? So distrust, comparison, greed, they'll all steal our ability to do this. And here's what I want to say. Sometimes we don't need more, we just need Jesus. I know, super churchy. I get it. But sometimes we have to look at it and go, I don't, I don't need to just ask for more, right? I, I've, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit, you, you get it. Like you have that connection to God. You have that experience. You have access to him. And sometimes we just have to look at God and go, Jesus, I don't get it. That's a real prayer. <laughs> That's an okay thing to say. Like, will you show me what I need to know? Will you get me to where I need to be? Because I don't get it right now. And I don't know what to ask for. Here's my, my question to wrap us up. Because I'm sure in a room this big, I've been processing this. Like, there are things that are going on in our lives that we walked in today just with, like, I don't know why God's doing this. But here's the question. What has God given you that you need to see as a blessing and an opportunity? What's the difficult thing that we've been looking at and just saying, God, get rid of it. God, get rid of it. God, get rid of it. And he's going, nope, you're going to keep it, like what Paul said. Or, nope, I'm going to do it differently, like what Paul said. And we have to look at him and go, okay, then help me understand what this means then help me grow through whatever you're trying to teach me. Then help me process this in the right way so that when it's over or when it changes or when whatever happens, like then I can know that this is what you did in me. And I can look at other people when they go through that difficulty and I can say, keep your chin up, keep going. Because God's going to do something. And there's something we have to do when we, when we look at these things, whatever they are, these difficulties, and we just hand them to God and we go, I don't get it. But I'm here for it and I'm ready to learn what you have for me. And it changes. It 
changes our perspective. It changes how we interact with them. And we don't get in a spot where we start telling God what we need or how we need it or whatever. And we don't start moving to a place where we go, God, if you don't do this, I'm out. Like we've got to, we've got to get past that. And if that's where you're at, I want to lovingly say we've got to grow up a little bit. And say when God gives us something we don't get, we don't understand why, but he says we need it. We've got to lean in and say, okay, I'm going to learn from it and not run from it. Because running is just, it's not going to take the problem away. It's just going to change who gets to walk beside us as we go through it. So here's what I want to do. I want the band to come up. They're going to get ready to play. And they can start playing while I'm talking too. And I just want specifically, if there's something that is in your mind, there, there's a thing that you're like, I walked in here. This was a difficulty. This is a frustration. This is something that I've been looking at God and saying, I don't get why. I don't understand. I'm not okay with it. I'm frustrated. And you've been kind of just at odds with God about. I want you to think about that thing. And I want you to process what it would look like to just hand it to God. Quit holding on to it like this, white-knuckled, frustrated, angry, staring at it all the time, taking up all your time, taking up your headspace, and say, God, I'm going to let it go. And, and I don't know why you gave me this thing. I don't understand why it's here. But I want to learn what you want me to learn through it. And I want to be able to come out on the other side and go, Look what God did. I'm so glad I didn't walk away. So would you pray with me as we wrap our time? God, these, th- this parable specifically is like, it's, when we think about the unmet expectations and how we expect you to show up in life and all those things, it can be difficult and we can feel like sometimes we're just on the outside knocking and you're not answering. Or we ask for one thing and you give us another and that's frustrating or whatever. And God, I... I pray that for those of us that have something that's a difficulty that we've been processing or carrying or trying to figure out, I pray that we would just hand it to you. We would say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I want to learn from it. I want to process it. And even if it's our fault, like we screwed up, we didn't have the things ready when the guests showed up or whatever, like that we would be ready to say, God, I, I messed this up and I, I need you to fix it. And I'll do what I can, but I need you to step in and help me. And God, I pray that we would be a people that are like Paul, that we would say, even when you don't show up and answer it exactly the way that we want it answered, that we still lean in and just go, all right, let's figure this out. Let, let's let God glorify himself through me. And I pray for all these things that we're thinking about just handing to you, that we would feel peace about it. And God, I pray that we would see the results, whether it's what we're thinking are the results or not, that we would just see the way that you worked. And on the other side, we would be, we would have a stronger relationship with you because of it, and we would even be able to encourage other people through it. I pray that we'd be a mature people that don't walk away when you give us something difficult we engage and we're ready to learn from what you're walking with us through. In Jesus' name, amen.